0: It's interesting that statistics tell us that um, between 80 and 90% of believers have not shared their faith with another person in the last 12 months. If you go further, it's 60 to 70% of believers will never ever share their faith with another person for their entire Christian lives. Pretty staggering figures, aren't they? Incredible figures. It's interesting though, when we consider Jesus' command in Matthew 28 verses 19 to 20, for his disciples to go into the world and to make disciples, preaching the good news of, of salvation to them. Yet many of us aren't actually doing that according to what those statistics say. Then really what it does, it, it amounts to nothing but disobedience on our part to, to Jesus. During this seminar tonight, hopefully, we'll consider some of the reasons why believers, some believers do not share their faith. But one of the, the, uh, the main, and one of the main ones we'll look at is this whole aspect of fear. Um, and, and, and another one is that people just don't feel equipped enough. But the real purpose of this course really is to seek to remedy those kind of things by helping people to know what the message of the gospel is and then how to go about communicating that message in an engaging and authentic way. Now, I've given you some notes tonight that you can follow along with. There'll be some PowerPoint slides as well. Alright, so uh, we will um, follow through. You'll see the, uh, the PowerPoints will come up behind me there and you can follow along and, uh, and take uh, notes as you uh, are able to. If you're after a pen, I think there was a few pens still left on the table down there. So we're going to kick off tonight with uh, why the need? Why the need to share the gospel? In his book, Honest Evangelism, the author Rico Tice identifies three main reasons for sharing the gospel. They are the glory of Jesus Christ, the guarantee of the new creation, and the grim reality of death and hell. So let's just consider those uh, first of all. The, uh, The glory of Jesus Christ course, when you think about the glory of something, we, we often need to consider the, uh, the, the glory is something's, the, the weight of it or its unique kind of uh, worth, if you like, that thing that really sets it apart. We think about the glory of a sunset, we think about its, its colour, don't we, the, the beautiful colours and the, the amazing uh, tinges of, of oranges and golds and yellows and, and purples and, and things like that. When we think about the glory of a lion, we think about its strength and, and, and its power, and when we think about the, uh, the glory perhaps of a master craftsman, we, we think about his skill or her skill. But When it comes to thinking about the glory of Jesus Christ, we need to remember that uh, his glory very much is the fact that he himself is God. In his very nature, he is God. We read that uh, in, in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, that it speaks about Jesus as the very exact representation of God's being. It's interesting as we look into uh, things like the Lord's Prayer, for instance, we uh, we see that uh, we often use the uh, the term "Hallowed be the n- Hallowed be Thy Name." And we uh, often pray the Lord's Prayer over in our own prayers or uh, you know, with, uh, with, with others. We've done it on, on several occasions here at our, uh, at our prayer meetings. And we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is to set the name of God apart. In other words, we have a, a real concern for honouring the name of God, for honouring God. We want God and His name to be treated appropriately and for people to worship Him as He is meant to be worshipped. And when Paul describes His evangelistic mission at the beginning of Romans, He says that is in fact for His name's sake, for Jesus' name. We see that in the first, uh, the first chapter of Romans verses one through to five. Ordinary Christians in the early church went out to evangelise again for the sake of the name of Christ. We Look at the third letter of John, verse 7, for uh, for that that reference there. See, Jesus needs to be treated in such a way that recognises his glory that recognises his majesty, his holiness, his goodness, everything about the, 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 the person of Jesus, his deity, all of his characteristics, we need to recognise those things. We need to recognise for who he is. And one way we do this is to submit to his authority. That's one way in which we recognise his glory. Theologian Abraham Kuiper had this to say. He says, There is not a square inch of uh, of in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine Jesus has authority over all things and we uh, honor his name by submitting to his authority And Jesus, by his own authority, then gives us, as his disciples, his mandate for worldwide evangelism. We see that again, as we mentioned just before in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says that all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end, Of the age. But you know, the glory of Jesus is not just seen in his name and in his authority, it is also seen in his sacrifice, him willing to lay down his life for us. He sits on the throne as the Lamb who was slain. Revelation chapter 5 and verse 6. He was slain for each and every one of us. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 5 says this that he was pierced. For our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed. And so, in this context, we see the love that Jesus has for us—a an incredible sacrifice and a love which should evoke in us this response of adoration and praise and submission. And so, when it comes to when we think about Jesus, it should really then grieve us. It should grieve us in our spirits when Jesus is not adored and worshipped as he should be, when his glory is not acknowledged, and when he is ignored or derided. It's interesting when Paul, the Apostle Paul, was in Athens, in, and we read about it in Acts 17. As he looked around, he saw all of these idols that people were worshipping. And, it, and the uh, Acts seventeen sixteen says that he was provoked in his spirit with sadness because of all of the idols that, were, that the city were, were worshipping. Paul had a, had a real heart for Christ and when he saw that Christ wasn't being adored or worshipped the way he should be, the, 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 when Christ wasn't getting that, uh, that sense of, of, um, of submission that he should do from the people, then it caused Paul then to actually go and then proclaim the name of Jesus Christ to them. So we too, like the Apostle Paul, it should grieve us when we don't see this in the lives of others around us, when we don't see them acknowledging and worshipping God as he should be worshipped. But what it should grieve us most is when we actually don't even see it in our own lives. That's the most important thing, obviously. So we see first of all the glory this 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 glory of Jesus Christ. The second part the second point is uh is this the guarantee of the new creation. I don't know about you but uh, you know, I sort of sometimes sat in the uh in the shopping center whether it be at North Lakes or something like that in the food court or something and just just watched people go by. Have you ever done that before? And one of the questions I sometimes ask myself is I wonder what that person's life is like. I wonder, you know, sort of who their relatives are and, you know, what their day-to-day life is like, where they live, you know, all those sorts of things. And But then I, I ask myself the question, I wonder what their eternal destiny is. Have you ever asked yourself that question about the people around you? What is their eternal destiny? For the believer, our hope is secure. It's guaranteed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus's resurrection, of course, proves to us that there is life beyond death, and that Jesus is the one who has the keys to that. He is the one who holds the uh, the means by which we can uh, we can uh, um, gain access into that eternal life. And when we're excited about our future hope and the joy that we will have in living that that future with the etern- living that eternity with Christ then this should lead us to also to tell others about it so that they can enjoy it for, you know, together, t- together with us. I don't know about you, but one of the things which I find when I talk to people is they often talk about the things that they're really, really excited about that brings them a lot of joy and a lot of, uh, a lot of pleasure and that sort of thing in their lives. Do you, you ever notice that yourselves? And it's the same with us, isn't it? We talk, we often talk with people about those things which are, which are really important to us and those things which, which are special to us and which we get a lot of excitement and a lot of joy out of. Whether it be an an achievement which we might have accomplished or whether it be, you know, our family or whether it be, you know, our, you know, the church service that we were at last Sunday or something along those lines. But we often talk about those things. You know, we, we should, you know, be telling people about those things which excite us. And the thing that should excite us the most, most and bring us, or the person that should excite us the most and bring us the most joy is Jesus and our relationship with Him and what He's done for us. You know, to help us to ponder on this, on, on what Christ has done for us and the eternity that we have to look forward to, we need to be in the scriptures. We need to be, you know, meditating on the scriptures again, day, you know, day by day, learning more and more about this relationship and what Christ has done for us. This week, I've been reading um, um, a, a chapter out of J.I. Packer's book called um, "called Knowing God," and I've been reading this, this this whole aspect on what it means to be adopted as children of God. And honestly, it just, it just blows your mind as you read through that and find you know, all the things that, this, that being adopted as the children of God actually really means for us as believers. One of the uh, passages this week I read at a funeral was uh, Revelation chapter 21 and verses 1 to 7. And here it speaks of this new creation. This where Christ has promised to make all things new and where we will, as his children will experience this incredible intimacy with God like we've never experienced before, that we will be with him and he will be with us and and there'll be no more crying and no more mourning and no more pain and no more tears or anything like that because he says, For all the old order of things has passed away. He says, Behold, I make all things new. And it kind of gives me the impression of of kind of being a a little bit like when you know the the early days in the in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, you know, before everything all went all went you know pear shaped. Of what it must have been then to walk with God there in the Garden, to have that that intimacy and to and to be in that that place of perfection and and uh, and and wonder. Because this is the future for anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ as savior. So why would we not want others to enjoy this as well with us? Why would we not want, want would not want them to do that? In Revelation twenty one six, Jesus says, "To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment." The spring of the water of life without payment. Don't you just love that picture there? of Those kids all gathered around that uh, that water. It's just that, uh, that that pump in their village or wherever it is. You've got to imagine a place like that with, with, with no fresh water, no means of fresh water, and all of a sudden there's a new, the new well in their, uh, and, and a tap in their village, and all of a sudden this water is there, and they don't have to pay for it, they don't have to, to walk miles and miles and miles in order to get water. What a joy it is. You can see that joy in their faces. And this water of life that Jesus gives us is, 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 is beyond anything. and, and, it, and it satisfies you know, beyond any thirst that we could ever have in this life. Course it echoes John chapter four and verse fourteen, where Jesus speaking at the uh at the well where the Samaritan woman says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, folks, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to sharing the gospel, what we're doing is really we're pointing a parched friend to the fountain of water, to the fountain of life. You and I have found that fountain, but there are many around us who, who just haven't found it at all. They haven't found it. They're parched, they're thirsty, they're desperate. So we see that uh, this, um, the guarantee of this new creation, of what we've got to look forward to, the hope and the joy of that and what it will be like. But then we also need to recognise that there is the grim reality of death and hell. Now, when the Bible speaks about our lives, it does so emphasizing their brevity. We're described like a mist in James chapter 4 and verse 14. There we are. A mist. Like the early morning dew and like chaff in Hosea chapter 13 and verse 3. Like flowers of the field in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 30. And like a sigh in Psalm 90. It's how our lives are described in the scriptures. It speaks of the brevity, doesn't it, of our lives. No wonder the writer of Psalm 90 then asked God to teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. I'm sure that it's all struck, you know, us at some point or other in our lives, but we are all destined to die. Every single one of us becomes a lot more acute, that, that sense of, of death, when we are faced with our mortality or faced with the mortality of someone else. I've done a couple of funerals in the last several days uh, here, uh, not at the church here but at different places. And, uh, of course, when someone dies, it very quickly brings home to, uh, to all people the fact that life is indeed short, that our lives indeed hang by a very, very fragile thread and can break any instant. We are all destined to die. But it's what comes after that that unfortunately people perhaps refuse to consider. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 says that we must all face judgment. We must all face judgment. But sadly, many people today dismiss this whole aspect of judgment. They dismiss things like hell as being a myth or they treat it as a joke that, yeah, I'm going to go to hell, but I'll be there with all my mates a sad reality, because Jesus himself did not treat hell like this. In fact, he once told about a rich man who died in Luke chapter 16, verses 22 to 23. This rich man died, and at the same time, a poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man was in Hades, and he was in torment, Jesus says. And he lifts up his eyes, and he sees Abraham far off with this poor man, Lazarus, at his side. And this rich man says to, uh, to Abraham, can't you just send this, rich, this, this poor man, Lazarus, to go and dip his finger in, a, in, in the water and come and quench my tongue, quench my thirst? But of course, we're told that there's a great chasm separating the two. See, when Jesus spoke about this, even though it was a parable, he affirms that hell is a real place. And to say otherwise is actually to call Jesus a liar. Not only does Jesus affirm that hell is a real place, but he also affirms that hell is a place of suffering and a place of torment. We see that time and time again through scriptures, particularly in the Gospels in the New Testament, where Jesus refers to hell as a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And hell is final and fixed. There is no coming back from that. I think the reason Jesus talked about hell is because he doesn't want people to go there. He does not want people to go there. And the reason Jesus died was so that people would not have to go there. So therefore, when it comes to sharing our faith with others... It very much means that we speak or warn them about hell. Some of you might uh, be familiar with, uh, with this man. His name's Penn Gillette, He's actually from the comedy duo T- Penn and Teller. And he says this in an, in an interview he once said, I've always said that I don't respect people who don't proselytise, that is, who share their faith. I don't respect that at all, he says. If you believe that there's a heaven and a hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life and you think that it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward, then how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytise? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? He goes on to say... He says that uh, if I believe beyond the shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe that that truck was bearing down on you, he says there's a certain point where I'm going to tackle you. And this aspect of eternal punishment is certainly a lot more important than being hit by a truck. Folks, as Christians, we must be aware of living as functional atheists. That is, you know, we might know deep down that, that hell is real. But do we actually live as though that is true? Do we actually live our lives as though that is true? See, in fact, our willingness to tell people the gospel is in reality a test of our love for them. It's interesting. I remember many, um, many years ago now, I was in the youth group at, uh, or young adults group, I should say, at, um, at a previous church. And there was a, 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 a group that came along one night to do a presentation about the gospel, and I remember one of the skits that they did, and it was of two friends in life, and one was a Christian and one wasn't a Christian, just young, just young kids, you know, teenagers and that, that age. And uh, sadly, they were both travelling in the same car when that car was, was in a huge accident. This is make believe, by the way. When they were in a huge accident and both were killed. And they both end up at this, at this crossroads, if you like, um, in, in, uh, on the other side of the grave. Now, this isn't actually theologically accurate, but uh, it gives you, gives you a bit of an idea. They end up at this crossroads on the other side of the grave. And, uh, and one lead this beautiful, this beautiful road that leads to this place where, that looks, you know, just perfect. What, what you imagine heaven would be, you know, with, with, uh, you know, the, 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 the greenery and the gold city and all that sort of thing. And this other road went, the other went, went in an opposite direction to this place of, of darkness and foreboding and that sort of thing. Just a real kind of scary place. And, uh, as the two friends stood at that crossroads, um, they, they both knew which direction they had to go. And uh, the, the, the person who was the Christian started to head towards this beautiful city, the city of gold and, 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 and the gates of heaven. And the other, the other girl said to her, She says, But I've got to go this way. I can't go the way you're going. And she says, Why didn't you tell me? Why didn't you tell me that this is what I would be facing when it came to death? And it was it was so powerfully done, and that has stuck with me for my entire life, that picture of being there in that place and that person saying, why didn't you tell me? Folks, death is real. It doesn't always warn us of its arrival. And without Jesus, what lies beyond is terrible. That's why everyone needs to hear about the gospel and that's why we talk about Jesus even though we find it tough, even though we find it hard. So let's look at perhaps some of the reasons why we often don't evangelise. And I'm going to give you just a, a minute or so just to talk uh, with the person next to you or in little groups. to so perhaps some of the reasons why you, why you think believers don't often share their faith with others. All right, Just take uh, 60 seconds just to, uh, just to talk to, to others about that. what are some of the things that, uh, that we came up with then quickly? Anyone want to sing them out? They already know your faults. Yep. Okay. Hip, yeah, you might come across as hypocritical because of what others, yeah, the, the, uh, the faults that others see in your life. Yeah, good one. Yep. Sorry? Confidence. Confidence. We don't do it because we're just not confident enough? Hmm? Scared of rejection. Scared of rejection, yeah, yeah, fear, yeah. Waiting for the opportunity. Waiting for the opportunity, yep, certainly. There are all kinds of reasons, aren't there? I've just noted a couple up here. First one is that probably uh, with, along with a confidence one, we actually feel probably ill-equipped to share it. We just don't know how to go about it. But you think that if we, if we try to, they're only going to stuff it up, you know, because we don't have the right words to say. Another one is that uh, it, we don't make it a priority or we, we feel as though, yeah, we don't get the opportunity. You know, we just don't uh, feel as though the right opportunity comes up. I think the, uh, probably the most, uh, in, the most insignificant one is, uh, is what, would, um, what Cynthia shared with us in that we're afraid. We're, we're fearful. We are fearful of what reaction we might provoke In others. And I think it's a little bit of what Sue was saying there as well, in terms of, you know, others might think we're hypocritical. So it's what, you know, others are going to think of us. Let me just uh, run this by you and see what you think. Ultimately, our fear is driven by pride. Ultimately, our fear is driven by pride. Because we are consumed by what others will think of us. And how sharing our faith will impact on us. We love ourselves more than we love others and sadly more than we love Jesus. Interesting point to ponder, isn't it? Mm. Of course that means that we we make the respect from others and of having an easier time in our lives, we make those into idols in our lives. There's got to be something in our hearts that we make the most important thing to us, in our lives, and to which we will sacrifice other things in order to keep it. And if that something isn't God or Jesus Christ, then it's an idol. Romans chapter 1, verse 25 says that. And of course, at the heart of all sin, really, is idolatry in the heart loving and obeying something other than our loving God. And if we fail to keep Jesus at the centre of our heart and find our purpose and our satisfaction and our joy in him, then we won't speak about him. Because, as I said before, we talk about that which we love. And if we know we should witness but our hearts are not willing to witness, it may be because our hearts are indeed focused in other places and on other things. As I said before, this seminar is about equipping us to know and share our faith. But let me say this, no matter how much knowledge that we have, no matter how many ways we learn to share the gospel, unless we've actually uprooted these idols from our hearts and from our lives, we inevitably will not cross that threshold of taking the steps to talk to others about Jesus Christ. Unless we uproot these idols, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about battling these idols? Well, firstly, we need to recognise that they're there, and we need to identify them. The David in writing in Psalm 139 says this. He says, "Search me, O God; search my heart. Test me and try me, and know, and let me, and, and, and point out if there be any wicked way in me." And we have all got to come before God and ask that ourselves of our hearts. Are there things in our lives which we actually worship as idols and worship more than God? And when we, when the Spirit reveals those things to us, then the next thing we do is we need to confess them and ask for God's forgiveness. First John chapter one and verse nine says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. And finally, we need to seek to replace these idols with Christ himself. What it means, folks, is actually we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. We need to preach the gospel to ourselves and we need to preach it to ourselves every single day. Because the gospel isn't just a means by which we come and enter into the salvation that Jesus Christ has, has, has secured for us through his death and resurrection. The gospel is the means by which we then go about living the life that Jesus has secured for us through his death and resurrection. The gospel is, about, is, is all about our life with Christ. So as we move on, let me just say that um, when it comes to then thinking of Christians, thinking of ourselves, we can put ourselves in one of two categories. And the first is this that we can be the category of person or category of believer who view themselves a lot like the apostle Paul in second Corinthians where he points out that we are ambassadors for Christ second Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 20. In other words, we see ourselves as people who are there as Christ's representatives to those around about us, to our community and to the people we come into contact with every day. We are Christ's ambassadors, representing Jesus to them and imploring, as, as Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians 5, imploring them to be reconciled to God. Our hearts and our lives are centred you know, very much around that. We are ambassadors for Christ. The other kind of uh, the other category of person that we uh, that we might uh, fall into, and probably uh, the vast majority of us fall into, is what I've called the Jonah, the Jonah kind of uh, category, or the Jonah personality. Now you'll remember that when God told Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites, Jonah course went, "Yep, sure, God, God, I'm out of here. Off we go straight to Nineveh. Isn't that right?" No. Paul ended up going the opposite way, got on a boat and headed to Tarshish, which was actually completely in the opposite direction to where God wanted him to go. And oftentimes we ourselves, when it comes to sharing the gospel, we run away. We run away from it. We run away and we, because uh, we're scared. I hope, hopefully, it's not because we are like Jonah in the sense that he despised and hated the ones that God had actually told him to go and share the gospel with. Sadly, there are people who call themselves Christians today in our world who are just like that, who will not share their faith with others because they sit in judgment of them and say that they're actually not worthy of it. Being in this Jonah category, we can sometimes view witnessing as an optional extra in the Christian life. And we have opted out. We haven't ticked that box. Believers such as these always choose to stay the safe side of what Rico Tice calls the pain line. It's probably an apt description, isn't it? The pain line, that line that we need to cross in order to share Jesus with others. Hmm. If this is you, then there are three things that you need to remember that will help you to perhaps move from being a Jonah-type person to being that ambassador for Christ. And the first is this. We need to remember God's sovereignty. By the way, we're on page three of your notes if if you're wondering where we are. God's sovereignty. See, God is the God of all of history and he is working out his purposes in the world today. And whether we want to admit it or not, God's desire is for people to come to know him in a personal way because God's love indeed extends to all. Going back to Paul at Mars Hill in Athens, there for a moment in Acts seventeen, when he speaks to the people and he speaks about this uh, this unknown god, this, this this monument to the unknown god or this altar to the unknown god, he actually speaks. He uses um, language which is very um, very um, real to them, very uh, known to them. In fact, he uses a a, a saying that says, you know, that that in God we live and move and we have our being. And then he uses a line of poetry which sort of says that, you know, God is in fact near to all. What Paul is sort of trying to communicate there is that, you know what, God is there and he wants this personal relationship if we'll just recognize him and uh, respond to him. And as God's ambassadors, we are kind of like the link people, if you like. To point people to, 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 to Christ. And it's no accident that you know the people that you do. It is no accident that you know the people that you do. The people that you come into contact with, you know, day after day, week after week. God has placed you in that place. They need Jesus. You know the gospel. And God wants them to hear the gospel. So when the paths of your, our lives, if you like, intersect with people, then God is not far from them because God is in you. And that's what Paul is saying there in, 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 in Acts 17. God is right there because, because Paul is there proclaiming him. God's, God is sovereign. And God has placed you, whether it be in your neighbourhood, in your school, in your university, in your TAFE, in your workplace, in your sports club, in your social group, no matter where you are, God has you there for a reason and for a purpose. It is all in God's plan. So don't think that the job that you have or the neighbourhood in which you live in is by, is by accident or just by circumstance. The God who is sovereign over all is sovereign over where you live and where you work and the people that you come into contact with. Not only is God sovereign, but also God is a God of grace. We need to remember God's grace. That we are all recipients of God's grace. We'll move on here. We're all recipients of God's grace. There was nothing about us about you and me that deserve God's favor and blessing to be lavishly poured out on us. But he did. Can you think of anything about yourself which actually made you stand out in order for God to actually pour his grace and his mercy and his love out on you? I can't. About me I that it's not about you. I certainly can't. And yet he has. And he has made us his child, his children, through Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17 speaks about the fact that we've been adopted into his family, that we have been made joint heirs with Christ. And all that belongs to Jesus is ours in him. And when the creator God looks at you, he sees his child, his treasured possession. He sees someone whom he loves. He sees someone whom he is delighted in. And he sees someone in whom he will do anything for in order to make you more holy, to make you more like Christ. There is nothing, there is nothing that we can do and nothing that can happen to us that can in fact even separate us from this love that is ours in Jesus Christ, this love of God. We've got the absolute guarantee and conviction that we are loved by the most powerful one in the whole universe. So let me ask you, with that kind of knowledge, what difference does it make then when it comes to sharing the gospel? I think it makes this difference. That no matter what other people may think of me, no matter what people may think of the message that I proclaim, It does not change my value in the sight of God. John Chapman says this, whether a person accepts me or rejects me does not make me any more or less valuable in God's sight. John Chapman, by the way, uh, has passed on now. He uh, went to be the Lord in 2012, but wonderful uh, Australian evangelist uh, lived uh, lived in Sydney. Whether a person accepts me or rejects me does not make me any more or less valuable in God's sight. See, the opinions of others, the opinions that they might have about us, is not what gives us value. Christ's love is what gives us value. So God's sovereignty and God's grace. And by the way, this grace that God has for us is the same grace he wants to shower upon all people it is the same gift which he wants to give to other people in our world today, that they themselves might become recipients of this grace, and we are channels of that grace to those around about us. The uh, other week, um, I was talking to uh, to to someone, and uh, they had a problem with uh, with one of their pipes. And that the pipe had become blocked. and uh, I don't know about uh, you, but oftentimes a blocked pipe is not a really good thing. Of course when you get these blocked pipes, all kinds of things can, can, can happen but the problem but the, but the main issue is is that what goes through that pipe and generally it's water can't get to where it needs to go. And if the pipe is blocked, then if it's supposed to be channeling water, for instance, for an irrigation, for irrigation or something like that and the plants and that can't get that, that water, then there's trouble for those plants, isn't it? Folks, we ourselves, as I said before, we're channels of this grace of God. But are we going to be conduits? Are we going to be these channels? Or are we going to be these blocked up pipes seeking to make dams for ourselves and yet leave people thirsty, desperate, For the love and the grace of God. Third uh, thing we need to remember to help us to become ambassadors rather than be Jonahs is that we need to remember God's power. Thankfully, our efforts, thankfully, our efforts at evangelism do not depend on us. Amen to that. They don't depend on us. It's not our job to convert someone, it is God's job and we need to remember this we need to make sure that this is very much at the forefront of our minds that it is god's job to convert a person to faith the bible tells us that the minds of unbelievers are blinded to the truth about god we see that in second corinthians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6 and i don't know i know about myself i'm not a spiritual eye surgeon i am not a spiritual heart surgeon only god is Nothing you or I can say can give that spiritual sight, can actually soften that heart to the things of God. It is only God who makes the light to shine in our hearts, as Paul says. This is what God has done in our life, and it is what God wants to do in the lives of others. Because when it comes down to it, I don't know, but I look back on my life and I think, God... Why, you know, if you can change me from, from where my heart was at with you, if you can change me, then you can change anyone. God can change anyone. I had no, no regard for God in my life whatsoever before I came to faith. And yet God in his grace choose, chose to speak into my heart and my life to remove those, that blindness from my eyes, that hardness from my heart, to respond to his grace. And we've got to remember that there is no one who is beyond God's grace. There is no one who is beyond God's power in order to reach them with the message of the gospel. There is no one that is beyond it. There is a power in the gospel. Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 1. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God under salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew and then for the Greek. God uses us, though, to communicate this message. But he opens up people's eyes and hearts in order to be able to understand, to, understand it and respond to it. And it's interesting, in Acts chapter 16, verses 12 to 15, we see Paul is actually in Philippi. And, and one morning he and, and, his, and his, um, his group go out to the river just outside the, of, the, of the city and he comes across a lady called Lydia who is a dealer in purple. And in other words, she's a very, very rich lady in that city. And he comes out to her and, and the scriptures tell us that the Lord opened her heart to their message. It was the Lord who opened her heart to the message. So therefore, successful witnessing is not about whether a person comes to faith or not, but it is about us being obedient to God by preaching Christ. We do not fail in our evangelism if we faithfully tell the gospel to someone who is not subsequently converted. We fail, however, only if we do not faithfully tell the gospel at all. I don't know about you, but there's something very, very liberating about that when it comes to sharing our faith, that it's not up to us. And as long as we faithfully proclaim it, then that's all God requires of us. He doesn't require us to, to gain the converts, that's up to him. He just calls us to be his spokespeople. If we get these three truths in our heads and in our hearts, then hopefully we will get praying for God to give us more opportunities. We'll start to look for chances to talk about Jesus. Yes, we might feel weak and fearful, we might find ourselves trembling as we do it, and it will mean taking a risk and the message might not come out as we hoped it might, but at least we have been obedient and faithful to Christ. All right, we're going to take a five-minute break there, all right? Because we've been sitting for about 45 minutes and we've got about uh, 30, minute, 30, 35 minutes to go, all Right, So have a five-minute break, stretch your legs and go to the toilet if you need to and then we'll come back to talking about uh, the elements of the gospel. Okay, we on bottom of page three of your notes. We're talking about the essence of the gospel. I want you just to, uh, just for uh, a minute or two, just uh, write down what you think on your sheets there, what you think uh, or what you understand to be the key elements of the gospel, the gospel message, okay? So I want you just to take uh, about a minute and a half to do that. And... Uh I mean, there's a number of things that, uh, that might come to mind. We're going to uh, go through a few things in a minute, but I just want you to uh, just think briefly of what uh, you understand the key elements of the gospel to be. If you were to perhaps be, have an opportunity uh, presented to you to speak to someone about uh, what the gospel is, then what would it be that you say? I'm not going to ask you to sing these out either, by the way, okay? The first thing we need to understand about the gospel is this, that it is good news. Good news. In fact, that's what the word gospel actually means. It means good news. In fact, uh, in, um, in ancient times when a battle took place between two uh, kingdoms, then the uh, the, the, the king that, uh, that was the victor in that particular battle would send a herald to the defeated kingdom to declare his victory and to relate to them the conditions by which they were then to live in the victor's kingdom. And that person it's, um, would be called a, a euangelion, an evangel, all right? And they would become to proclaim this good news of how these people could live... in this victor's kingdom under the terms of peace. And of course, when Jesus first commenced his earthly ministry, the content of his preaching was focused on this declaration to the people that they needed to repent for the kingdom of God was at hand. He came preaching the good news says now after John Mark 1 verses 14 to 15 says, When John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God, the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. See, Jesus was, was announcing this good news and it was good news concerning a kingdom, God's kingdom that was going to be inaugurated through him. The kingdom of God that, uh, that he was indeed going to, uh, to bring about and that people could gain access into that kingdom through repentance and faith. That is a decision of their will to submit to this new king in Jesus and his ways. And so the gospel is essentially about proclaiming God's kingdom and how people can be a part of it. But this proclamation of the good news always carries with it the authority of the king. The king who has won the victory and it is backed up by his power. See, in terms of the gospel uh, about God's kingdom, it, it is the authoritative word of God that is being proclaimed. The same word by which God created the universe. And therefore, there is this incredible power that is about it too. And as we said before in Romans chapter 1, verse, verse 16, Paul says, "'I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation "'to everyone who believes.'" In writing to the Ephesians in in chapter 1 and verse 15 to 20, Paul goes on to describe this power as the same power as that which raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, it is a power that is able to bring about new life, to bring life from death. And so this message of the gospel is a powerful message able to bring about a complete change in the circumstances and condition for those who hear it and respond to it in faith. That essentially is what the gospel is. So what are these circumstances that we're talking about that we need a complete change from? Well, watch this video clip from Matt Chandler.
1: The Gospel is that there is this infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful Creator God who created all things for His glory, and you and I have belittled that, belittled His name, belittled His glory every one of us have at one time or another actually currently believe that our way is better than God's we fail to acknowledge give him glory for the gifts he's given us we question his rule and his authority while at the same time doing that with the brain he gave us and holds together and the lungs and the air that he gave us to breathe with This is the great blasphemy of the universe. So we've all belittled God, and God being just right and holy is not going to allow the belittlement of His name. God then, not being able to spare wrath, sends Christ in the flesh and crushes Him. And in so doing, pours out His wrath against the children of God onto the Son, killing Him. Then God raises him from the dead and that same power that raised Christ from the dead is now at work in those who would believe. This is the gospel. That you and I have right standing before God not by our efforts, not by our works, not by our skill, not by whether or not we cuss or don't cuss, drink or don't drink, watch this, don't watch this, do this, don't do that. Justified before God by the cross of Christ alone. Your lust you're not going to be able to fix it your bitterness you're not going to be able to fix it your rage anger those deviances that have been following you around you don't possess the power of life and death you can't resurrect anything Christ can that's the good news that's why we don't celebrate us that's why we continually celebrate him in the cross and the cross alone, the same power that is at work in raising Christ from the dead is at work in me and work in all who believe. This is the gospel.
0: This is the gospel. So we see there in these uh, in that particular video, 10 elements of the gospel We're just going to quickly uh, have a look at those before we uh, run out of time together tonight. The first is this, that God is the creator. I've got them down on your notes so you don't have to to, uh, write all these down. They're already there for you. That God is the creator and therefore, as we said, he is the one with authority over all things. And I've got the, uh, the Bible references down there for you as well. But not only is he the creator and has authority over all, but that God, everything God made was good or very good. In other words, God made things how they were meant to be. They were meant to be perfect, and that is how God created them. And God created mankind in his image and gave him then dominion over the earth. But it was a delegated authority, that man and woman were still accountable to God. And we see that in God telling them that the fruit of one particular tree was off-limits to them. But of course, in Genesis 3, we read that the man and woman chose to disobey God, to reject his authority, to doubt his goodness, and to deny his grace. And that was what brought about the break in the relationship. That God, being perfectly holy and righteous, could not let their disobedience go unpunished. Their sin separated them from God. This relationship was broken. The sin caused separation. And God's holiness and his righteousness demand his justice, his wrath. And that God has said that he will indeed punish all sin. And because we ourselves are sinners, that means that we too are are under threat of God's wrath and judgment. And that sin comes about not through the things that we do to start with, but that sin is already inherent in us right from the time we are born. And that sin then is revealed by our rejection of God's authority our disobedience to his ways, our doubting of his goodness and our denial of his grace and even his, even his existence. Our sins, our, our sins aren't because we do these things. Our sin is actually the, the reason why we do these things that are then that, uh, that um, rebellion against God. And God is a God of justice and will punish that. But yet God is also a God of perfect love who does not want any to perish in their sin. And so God entered into our world through the person of his Son, Jesus Christ. He came in our likeness in order to fulfil the law and to die on the cross as a sacrifice for our sins. Having endured God's righteous wrath for our sin, he was raised again, signifying that his sacrifice was sufficient. And in this way, God provided the means by which a person can be reconciled to God, made right in his sight and have our sins paid for. And so by admitting our need to be reconciled to God through the sacrifice of Jesus, by repenting of our sin and putting our faith and trust in him as our substitute, we can have forgiveness of sins and be welcomed into god's family and that all who put their faith and trust in Jesus as savior receive the free gift of eternal life and god's indwelling through his holy spirit that holy spirit himself is god's seal of ownership on us paul tells us in ephesians 1 but it is also the means through which god is renewing us day by day into the image of christ They are the essential elements of the gospel, folks. Without those elements, we don't preach the proper gospel. One of the things that I've been really, really sad to see in my time as a a believer, but particularly in my time as a pastor, is people who will actually get up and preach the gospel, in inverted commas, and say, if you come to Jesus, he will solve all your problems and make your life a better rose, so to speak. There's no talk of repentance. There is no talk of sin. It has just come to Jesus and he'll fix it. That is not the gospel. And it is no wonder that they get so many people will stream down the front at, a, at an invitation when they give it, but then a few days later, those people are then questioning, well, this wasn't true because my life's still the same as it was before and it may be even worse. The gospel is the good news of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. So therefore, our goal is essentially to share Christ. 2 Corinthians 4.5 says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Our goal is to share Christ. And Rico goes, he uses three, uh, sorry, two sets of, of three key words. And again, I've got this down in your notes. If you go over to the uh, the next page. <clears throat> and basically, these help us, uh, the first three help us sum up those, uh, those, those 10 points, if you like. All right. So if you can't remember 10, hopefully you can remember three. The first is this. All right. Is the key thing we need to remember is Jesus' identity, who Jesus is. We need to remember his identity, who he is, the son of God, the person who is both God and man in the one body. Next, we need to remember his mission, why he came. He came to save sinners. Why do we need saving? Because we were were rebellious against God. Our sins separated us from God. And so Jesus came to pay for our sins. And we also need to remember the, the, the call of what Jesus wants from us and that there is a response that's needed when it comes to sharing the gospel. We need to look for that response that people will indeed accept Jesus Christ as the one who is their substitute, who died for their sins, recognizing their need for forgiveness and coming to, uh, to, to Christ for that. So three words: Jesus' identity, his mission, and what he wants from us. They're the three things that help us communicate the gospel, engaging people to to share. Sorry, to share Christ. But whilst we're sharing that, we need to recognise we need to engage our audience. So that we need to to remember whether or not we need to to um, keep questioning whether or not they're understanding what we're saying. So we need to be asking questions in that, and I'll come to that in a minute. Okay? Do they get it? All right, And sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And it might, sometimes it might be because we're not uh, perhaps you know, communicating in the right way, but sometimes it's because that spiritual blindness is still over their eyes and we need to pray for that. Not only do they understand things, but are they in agreement? Now, this, you might get people who say, no, I don't agree with it. That, and that that's, will be a, a, a legitimate response to the gospel. Some people will indeed say that they don't agree, but some will agree. So we need to be, we need to be looking to, uh, to engage them and looking hopefully for them to agree with this message. Remember, it, they're not agreeing with us to make us feel better, but they're agreeing with God's word for them and how they can come to salvation in him. And thirdly is impact. What are they going to do about it? We need to be asking that question. What are they going to do about it? Alright, so there are three, there are a number of tools that we can use to, to, uh, to share the gospel. And we're just going to look at a couple of these briefly. And again, I've got these listed down for you, okay, for under tools for sharing your faith, under point five and the first that i want to uh, just uh point us to is the romans road so i don't know about you but i always like things which um which jog my memory when it comes to me sharing faith with other people and this is one tool that you can use to help you to do that some of you might have heard of this before it might be familiar with you but basically it is a is a series of verses in the book of romans in the letter of romans that actually point out the uh, the, uh, the 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 gospel the essential truths of the gospel and the first is found in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 where we ask ourselves the question, who needs salvation? And Romans three twenty-three answers that by saying, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So who needs salvation? Everybody. We all do. So... If we need salvation, then why do we need salvation is the next question, the next logical question. Why do we need it? Romans 6.23 tells us that. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If we stay in our sin, then we will die. We will be eternally separated from God, but God offers us eternal life. How does God provide this salvation? We're told that in Romans 5, chapter 5 and verse 8. But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God secured our salvation through Jesus' death and resurrection. So if God has provided that, that, that salvation for us, then how then can we be recipients? How can we receive that salvation? Well, Romans 10, verse 9 says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and... And believe in our hearts that there's a true belief in our hearts that God, that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And what's the so what about salvation? Well, Romans chapter five and verse one gives us the results. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Five simple verses, aren't they? five simple verses in Romans but very very clearly teach you know very very clearly you know enunciate the gospel communicate the gospel to those around about us another helpful tool is one that was developed by Matthias Media a little while ago and I've got this down on your sheets if you go over the page two ways to live the choice we all face I'll go back a minute i might actually have it on the previous slide but that's okay you've got it in your notes for you this is another one. I'll just play this for you now. This is another one. Uh, a yeah um, a YouTube version. There is uh, um, on your sheets there on the next page. I've actually got the uh, the outline of that. Um, if you uh, like to use something along those lines, there is, as I said, a number of tools. There's two ways to live, by the way. I, yeah, I haven't got that up. I must have slipped over that. But I had up there. there did I? Okay, fair enough. On this uh, two ways to live, basically it just uses six pictures, which uh, which. There should be six. There's only got five there. But there is actually a series of pictures that you can remember to actually help you remember the, the various elements of the gospel. But I'll let you actually read through that at your own time. There's other things which is, uh, as well, uh, which is called the morality ladder, um, which was um, that, that one there. Um, you can uh, sort of draw a ladder. You can sort of put God at the top, who is perfect. You might like to put uh, people like serial killers at the bottom, and then um, get um, the person that you're talking to to maybe plot themselves on the uh, on the ladder. But you might put a couple of uh, people in there, like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or people along those lines. Oh, I've, I've... Yes, well, Bill Gilliver. there you go. <laughs> <laughs> In all his humility, yes. Um, and then get them to sort of, you know, plot themselves on that and then sort of talk to them, well, why, have you put, you know, why did you plot yourself there and so forth and what you think it'll, it, it will get, take you to get to, the, uh, to, to be with God. Another one is the uh, do versus done, that the religion is felt do. In other words, it's all about, you know, what we have to do to earn God's favour. But, of course, we can never do enough. But Christianity itself is spelt done. Okay, so there are a number of tools, and I've got, to, as I said, a couple of those for you in your notes. The point what we're trying to make, though, is this. Okay, the point that we're trying to make clear is that we're all in need of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ because of our sins, and our eternal destiny rests on our response to that message, to those facts. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, one of the difficult things when it comes to sharing our faith is how do we actually get to speaking of things of a spiritual nature? How do we actually sort of get people engaged to things of spiritual matters? Because sometimes the conversation can go on and on and you never sort of really get there. <clears throat> well, I just want to uh, just give you a few points to, uh, to quickly finish off with tonight. And uh, before, we, uh, before we conclude our time, and this will, uh, this will finish off the, uh, the uh, session nicely. For the person who wants to share their faith, one of the most perplexing issues, as I said, is how to turn the conversation to matters of a spiritual nature. Rico Tice again helpfully states a few things. First of all, we need to look for God in the ordinary. It's interesting that all of us are created in the image of God, every single one of us, All of mankind is created in the image of God. And so therefore the people we interact with each day are indeed God's creatures. They are indeed made in God's image. They're designed by God in his image to work, to relate, to be creative, to shape the world around them and so on. And so what this means is that we can and what we should do is actually celebrate people and their passions enjoying the way that they reflect God's image in our world today. We need to find the positives that we see in them and, uh, and actually sort of point them to the fact that that is indeed an act of the grace of God in them and through them. We need to remember that we can celebrate people and we can celebrate the good things, that we can celebrate the, seeing God at work in them as image bearers of God. Secondly, we need to genuinely love people. Don't just view them as evangelistic projects. We're only going to be effective in witnessing to, by being someone who is actually takes a genuine and authentic interest and care and concern for the people who are around about us. I was going to share another video with you, but uh, we're running out of time a bit tonight. But uh, this fellow was just speaking about this, this young fellow who was sharing his faith with, and he was saying that, uh, that he, if he was just to sort of see this person as an, as an evangelistic project, so to speak, that uh, you know, this, the first few times that this person turned away from, from, his, uh, from his messages and turned, you know, rejected what he had to say, then he could have said, well, well that's enough for me and I'm out of here. But he genuinely loved and cared for that person and that itself is 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 so true people will see through you they will see through the facade if you are just treating them as an evangelistic project we genuinely need to love and care for those people around about us um, skip over that and we'll there we are. We need to look for God in the ordinary, genuinely love people. We need to be engaged in the doing of Christianity. That is, we need to be people who shine the light of Christ through our actions, through our words, through our behaviours in our our everyday lives. We need to shine our light so that people might see our good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. Matthew 5.16 and by being this kind of person, it may well just give us opportunities to share about our faith. But more importantly, it will back up what we say. And can I say that if when it comes to our talk, our walk needs to match it. Our walk must match our talk. If it doesn't, then we can forget it. Another means by which we can do, engage in gospel conversations is make Jesus a normal part of our every of our day-to-day conversations. Because if Jesus is an integral and important part of our life, then sure, surely he should naturally be someone we talk about, wouldn't you think? And in this way, we demonstrate to others that our Christian faith is something that is relevant, it's relevant to real life, and it's important to us. Another one, another way is to, to is to share your testimony. You know, a person cannot, you know, deny your experience. A person cannot deny your own experience of of what has taken place in your life. So be able to share your testimony. But generally speaking, in sharing your testimony, you've only got a very short amount of time before people switch off. So learn to share your testimony and learn to share it fairly succinctly and quickly. I'll put up there 90 seconds, but if you can do it in 90 seconds, you're doing better than I am. And of course, essential to the ability to communicate the gospel is learning how to ask questions. Because we need to be listeners more than we are speakers. We need to listen to people more than we speak to them and that means asking questions of them. It's interesting as we read through the Gospels, it's uh, interesting to note that a number of times that Jesus um, is asked a question, he actually answers a question with another question. You read through the Gospels and see how many times Jesus actually answers a question with a question. many of our conversations with unbelievers will rarely touch on the spiritual. And so what we need to be prepared to do is I'm going to skip over that one as well, is we need to be able to test the spiritual temperature of those people that we we're talking to. And in his book, Share Jesus Without Fear, the author William Faye suggests five helpful questions that we can use. And again, I've got these down on your notes, okay, at the top of the last page. And those five questions are this. Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? One of the good things about these questions is that they're, they're very non-confronting. You know, it's just it's just natural conversation kind of questions. Do you have any kind of spiritual beliefs? Um, and then you know that that may start a question from there. To you, who is Jesus? See how you're asking to them. You're not actually sort of trying to tell them who you think Jesus is, but you're asking them first and foremost. You're wanting to hear their opinions and their thoughts. Do you think there is a heaven or hell? And if you died, where would you go? If heaven, why would you go there, do you think? And if what you were believing is not true, then would you want to know? Five very, very simple questions Okay, that uh, this fellow uh, brings up. Very, very simple. So where to from here then? Oh, sorry, there are the five. There. Where to from here? First thing we need to do is we need to Pray. We need to pray for opportunities and for boldness and courage in order to be able to share our faith. There are people all around us today, folks, who God is actually working in their lives. And we need to be asking God to actually bring us across those people's paths. That God might help us to see those people whose lives He's working in, and for us then to be His available person there in that situation to share the gospel with us, with them. We need to pray. We need to ask for opportunities, and we need to pray for boldness and courage. Secondly, we need to be proactive in sharing our faith. Okay, it's not going to happen if we just if we if we're not going to be proactive in it. If we're just not going to be prepared to do it, we've got to be proactive in being in sharing our faith. We've also got to be patient. <laughs> we cannot expect results overnight that actually leading a person from uh, from from a from a point of not knowing god to making a uh, commitment of faith they reckon usually takes around approximately about 7 conversations Seven conversations with a person. That's, that's a, you know, obviously an average. For some person, it takes a lot longer. For some people, it might take shorter. But we need to be patient in sharing, you know, in, in, in sharing our faith with others. And recognize that in just in sharing our faith, that we can actually bring a person just that little bit closer to that point of, of being, of coming to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. If we think of it as a continuum, even just moving that person one, one increment closer to God is a victory, don't you think? Is worthwhile? Yes. So be patient. And lastly, persevere. Persevere. As I said, it's a, it's a, it's a, it can be a long process. It can be a long process. All right. You know... One of the things which uh, I wanted to uh, leave you with tonight as we close is just some helpful resources. And I've put some, I've put five books down at the end of your notes there. Uh, the first on the top left there is Rico Tice's Honest Evangelism. Um, it's an excellent book. In fact, um, one of my favorite, um, um, preachers and and authors is a guy called Alistair Begg. And he said that, uh, that his desire is that for every single person in his congregation to read that book. (laughs) That's a, pretty, uh, that's a pretty big rap you know, for something like that. It's a great book, only a very, very thin book, only a, small, only a small book, but a really, really worthwhile book. Rico Tice is actually the pastor at All Souls Church in London, which used to be the church that John Stott was the pastor of many years ago, for those of you who know John Stott. all right. Um, the second book is uh, Rebecca manley Pippet's Out of the Salt Shaker and Into the World, Evangelism as a Way of Life. Um, Jonathan Dodson, the, the Unbelievable Gospel. By the way, I've read, I've read four out of these, uh, uh, sorry, five out of these six books that I've got up here. The one I haven't read is actually the uh, Rebecca Manley Pippet one, but it comes highly recommended. Uh, Jonathan Dodson's The Unbelievable Gospel. I've got a copy of that if anyone would like to borrow it. Um, The uh, Becoming a Contagious Chris, uh, Christian by Lee Strobel, Mark Middleburg and Jim Heibolds. That book's been around for a long, long time now. Um, Bill Fay or um, Share Jesus Without Fear. In actual fact, the Gideons at the moment are actually running um, um, evangelistic courses or gospel training courses using that book as the, uh, the basis of their gospel training. And they uh, often have those training events. If you go onto the Gideons website, then they uh, come up from time to time and you can see where uh, the next one's being run if you'd like to find out more about that. And uh, for a more apologetic side of things is The Case for Faith by a guy called Lee Strobel. He's written a number of these books, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ, The Case for a Creator, There's, there, are, there are several, of them, and they're all very, very good. Lee Strobel used to be an imbe- investigative journalist for the Chicago Tribune, which was a huge big paper over there in the United States, and decided one day that he was actually going to set out to prove that Christianity was false, and in, tra- in trying to do that actually came to faith himself in, in Christ. So the number of people who have tried to do that have come to faith is quite amazing alright so, uh, so they are the uh, they're the books and I've actually got uh, those yeah, printed down there uh, for you in your notes Thank you for coming out tonight. Um, Anyone, if you've got any questions, come up and see me afterwards. I'm happy to to, uh, have a chat with you. But uh, I did say we'd run from 7.30 till 9 tonight. I'm very, very conscious of the time. And uh, so I might pray as we conclude our time. And thank you for coming. I really appreciate uh, having so many people out tonight. It's really, really encouraging. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for uh, the fact that we've been able to spend this time together and the things, hopefully, that we've learned tonight about uh, the gospel, what is the gospel and how to share it. Father, we pray that we might be able to use this knowledge that we've been given tonight for you and that you might uh, give us that courage and that boldness and those opportunities in order to be able to, to be the people who, um, who are used by you to share the gospel with those around about us. Father, um, we pray that, uh, that each and every one of us will see the desperate need of people around us, those who are lost, those who are going to a crisis eternity. Help us to see that, uh, that their, their predicament is very real and that, uh, Lord, that we have the good news uh, to, to, for them in order that they might be saved from that. So help us to be bearers of that. Help us to live it out in our lives. Help people to see it on our faces and in our actions. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.